the four o'clock football frenzy. Hey, hit me so hard down there. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. All right, second half of the show begins. We're going to talk to Caleb Herring in about 15 minutes. Adam Candy is here. It's Cofield. Finley Toyota Studios. Ari is on board, and we're at the uh, great new podcast studio, radio studio of Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Here on this Wednesday, that fat pack stuff about Diana Rossini, we'll get back to that in about a half an hour. (laughs) The frenzy time. Boy, oh boy, Candy. Uh, I didn't see many people who gave the Jacksonville Jaguars a good grade for the draft. Urban Meyer, if he's the guy who's pulling the trigger, has the most influence. Some weird selections. First, let's start off with the pick of Travis Etienne when you already stole from the system in James Robinson. Your team stinks. You're not good on defense. You got to rebuild that defense, and you take a third down back, rotational back with your second first-round pick? Huh? But Big Herb was talking about it this week. He's not just a running back. He's a weapon. He's someone they can deploy on the outside. They can have a rotation of multiple backs. Look, man, look around the league. What's the value of running backs to winning teams? What's the value when we look at teams that are winning championships? Running backs are interchangeable. Running backs are replaceable. And when you use first-round picks on running backs, you are wasting the value of that on a position that you could have gotten someone much later on when there is an enormous difference between other skill positions, wide receivers, cornerbacks, edge rushers. And if you're Urban Meyer and you're the Jacksonville Jaguars, you can't draft for luxury right now. You have a running back. You have now a quarterback with the first overall pick. You can't look at number 26 and say, oh, well, you know what we need? We need another running back. No. No. Look, man, you can't build your silverware set by having 17 forks and no knives. Got to cut the meat. Man, the jury's out on this dude. Urban Meyer. Did they just go through a coaching staff reshuffle? And keep in mind, he tried to sneak in the embattled strength coach from Iowa who was accused of throwing out bizarro racial digs and insensitive remarks for like 12 years around the Iowa program. He got caught on that one. Now what is he doing with the staff? So there's a news peg to this, and then there's the real story. So the news peg to this is that Urban Meyer blew out four longtime members of the Jaguar Scouting and Football Operations Department, including one employee who had been there since the franchise opened back in the 90s. 66 combined years of experience and in addition to that he brought in something and cofield you're gonna have to correct me if i missed something here but i have never seen a football program nick saban Dabo sweeney or anybody else have a chief of staff when i think chief of staff i think about like the west wing and leo mcgarry like what is a chief of staff in a football team but there's the real story right it's not about who the chief of staff is not about who the employees he got rid of are. It's not about the strength coach in particular. It's the big herb urban, the Pope is trying to build a college football program. He wants this to be 
just like it is for college football coaches where they have absolute 100% total control over who is in their building, over what gets done at what time, over who works for them. And look, if that's what the Jacksonville ownership group wants, more power to him. But a guy who has won zero NFL games, who's been out of any sort of meaningful football for years, should not be coming in here and setting up this sort of impenetrable structure where he's an autocrat at the top of it. That's college football. That's not the pros. So wait, if this chief of staff fills a traditional role, is this the person who's out front? Who's kind of the gatekeeper for Meyer? Like no one gets to Meyer without going through the chief of staff first? Look, my ex was chief of staff for one of the local government agencies here for a long time. And that's exactly what it was, right? It's the person who fronts for the boss. It's the person who takes the heat. So I'm trying to imagine like heads of other departments within the Jaguars wanting to get a piece of Urban Meyer. And it's not like you call the executive assistant. You got to go through the new chief of staff. You got to go through the gatekeeper. And I'm not sure that's how Jacksonville has the organization set up. I haven't seen the org chart yet, but it is strange, man. And you tell me, Steve, I've never seen it in a pro program. I've never seen it in a college program. That doesn't mean it's wrong, but it certainly means it's weird. Sticking with the Jaguars, this one's interesting. Tim Tebow is going to be a tight end on the roster with the Jaguars, is he not? I don't see how not. It just seems <laughs> like this is too faded and too ridiculous to be wrong. What do you mean? I don't see how not. He's a guy in his 30s. He's never played the position. He refused to play the position, which he should have played the position coming out instead of playing quarterback. Uh, now he wants back in pro sports. The baseball thing did not work out. Um, logic would say, hey, it's too late, man. You can't make the transition to tight end. You can't fulfill all the other responsibilities. Yeah, I mean, catching the ball out of the backfield, check that, catching the ball, he could probably do that, you know, rumbling, stumbling, bumbling down the field. He can do that. But there's a lot more that goes into being a tight end. This should not be a given that Tim Tebow is going to make the roster. But I'll tell you one thing that's weird. Uh, Urban Meyer certainly loves him. I don't know if you saw this. Urban Meyer bought a house on the same street as Tim Tebow in Jacksonville. They are neighbors. This will be fascinating to see if Tebow can't fill the basic needs of a tight end and doesn't make the roster. It seems like it's predestined. He wants to play in the NFL at tight end. Urban Meyer is running a college-like program. Let's give the kid a chance. They need some goodwill, don't they? <laughs> oh, wait, no. They don't at all. Because they had the number one overall pick. You just brought in Trevor Lawrence. That should be the whole story of this organization this offseason. We got Trevor Lawrence because when it comes down to it, we've talked Belichick and Brady over and over and over again on this show. But you know what? That's Bill Belichick. That is one of the most accomplished coaches in NFL history. So that can be a reasonable discussion, even if I think Brady was far more responsible for the success than Belichick was. This is Trevor Lawrence and Urban Meyer. If Trevor Lawrence wins, if Jacksonville wins, it's going to be because of Trevor Lawrence. It's not going to be because of Urban Meyer or Tim Tebow. I'll go glass half full on this one. If he does make the roster, it really does give you the opportunity to run a couple of good trick plays a couple of times a game. And it does put some pressure on the defense. Now, that said, I don't know that anyone's going to believe that it's an honest formation with Tebow on the field. Uh, is anyone going to really buy that he's going to go downfield or they just think basically it's just going to be some sort of pass you know, out to the uh, sidelines and then Tebow's going to be freaking throwing the ball. It'll be uh, interesting to see how this one plays out and if Tebow's back in the NFL as a tight end with the Jaguars. 
Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. I agree with him from the standpoint of the play-in tournament. It should be the first eight teams, just like it's been for so many years. Uh, I don't believe in that play-in and all that stuff. I think the you know the top team, whoever gets the eight spot, that should be it. One against eight, two against seven, like it's been for so many years. Hanging at the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. We know Caleb Herring is a big fan of the Lakers. He. Well, he played hoops in high school. Played uh, college football. UNLV is the voice, one of the voices of UNLV football. Caleb, how you doing, buddy? Man, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I I don't mind the play-in. I think was it Byron Scott? I yeah. I don't mind it. I I get it. But I mean, you know, that's that old school mentality. It's the way it's been. So don't change it. Don't touch my game. Type of thing. So I mean, I I just love more basketball. Anything that gives me more basketball, I'm I'm definitely fine with. I mean, it is a dramatic change for the seven and eight team. Uh, you lose a couple of games in a row in this playing tournament, and then you're not in the field. But I think they need to spice up the back end, and they also they needed to add some uh, integrity to the end of the season. You know where teams you know aren't busting ass uh, because seeds are all set. Well, now it's a little more dangerous if you're sitting in a seven or eight hole. If you're the Lakers and you flop down the stretch, you may have to win some games to get into the main field. Yeah, and I think that like for for teams tanking purposes, like what teams like you said realize that they're out of contention, then. How how uh, you know how appealing is it to just say, well, you know, the rest of the season I'm going to sit my guys, the guys I do have. If I'm a, a you know a ninth seed, I'm going to sit them, and we're going to try to you know jockey for draft position here. So that bottom seed of the playoffs, that seven eight seed, has pretty much for like like Byron Scott said, for the, the entirety of the NBA and as we know it, um, being kind of nobody's watching necessarily to see those games see who makes those games. You might look at the standings and say, oh, San Antonio and whoever is really close and just see who ends up winning those last couple games. But there's really no interest in those, you know, those, the 7 and 8 seeds because, for the most part, they're just the first to get bounced, right, if we're being honest, when you get to the playoffs. That's all the 7 and 8 seeds are, is a team that's going to get bounced in the first round, um, maybe every now and then they upset. But you don't really look at, as far as the end of the regular season, those, those bottom seeds, you don't really care about them. This gives an incentive um, for viewership, maybe, and I, that's probably the money reason for viewership, for TV deals, for things like that, and a playoff atmosphere for those two teams, those last the bottom four teams or whatever that are in contention for that spot, to actually have a chance and to get you know some notoriety across the league or to get some respect, to get some viewership for those teams. I, that's probably the the media spin on it, the the money dollar sign spin on it. I do get you know one through eight. That's it. That's who made it. I I wouldn't be opposed to the change where it's you know, the top 16, no matter what conference it's in. And those kind of changes, to me, maybe make a little bit more appealing from a fan perspective um, and maybe appease the old heads a little bit better than, than this play-in tournament. But uh, at the end of the day, it, it's it's not that big of a deal if you're really in the playoffs. If you're going to think of things like the Lakers should be right now, if you're right. you know competing for the number one spot, then it wouldn't matter to LeBron or Byron Scott what, what's going on, you know, around the rest of the league with the play-in. I think the only reason LeBron's take took off is because they're looking at maybe being affected by who ends up in the play-in this year. Caleb Herring's with us. All right, let's get to some football. Good points there on the play-in tournament, all the whining about the NBA's new format with the play-in. Uh, Candy and I were just talking about Tim Tebow 
wanting to now be a tight end in the NFL. He'll probably get a chance. He's already been out to uh, Jags camp or at least around the Jags facility. I want you to talk about this conversation we've had recently about guys changing the tight end. And, you know, we had it last year. Uh, maybe it's a year and a half ago now with uh, Armani Rogers, right? Former UNLV quarterback, six five two thirty. Hey, if he wants to make it in the NFL, just move to tight end. And the great thing is, you and I have talked about how hard that transition is. We also we had Johnny Stanton on about six months ago, and yeah. Johnny played quarterback. And I'll tell you the the biggest thing Johnny said about the transition to almost every other position from quarterback is your hands. You don't realize how important your hands are on the line and especially a tight end and wide receiver. You never work on stuff like that as a quarterback. Like this is a tough learning curve for Tebow to just make the switch from quarterback to tight end. Yeah, it, it's a definite tough thing to do at any level of sports. When you, when you, especially, you know, college and up, when you've played your whole life, presumably at one position and you've, you've trained your body for, you know, 18, 20 years, whatever it is to play quarterback or to play whatever the position is and then to all of a sudden switch to a completely different skill set and like you said um with the hand placement and the hand strength even and you know catching the football you know coming at you you know personally i've made the transition from quarterback to receiver so i understand this you know from experience just like johnny did when he spoke with you about it it's tough it's different to understand um the game from a different position than you grew up playing um i think this is what i always go to i think it's extremely i i maybe not the word, extremely disrespectful to every other player who has put in the effort at a craft, whether it's yeah. tight end, receiver, cornerback, uh, whatever it is, to say that all of a sudden, in you know, my older age now, I want to try out at this position for the best team, you know, the best league in this sport. I want to go play NFL tight end, having never put any film out about it, never done it before, but I'm going to do it, and there's all these tight ends that have worked their lives to try to achieve this. But because of who I am, um, as Tim Tebow, I, I now get to walk in and even be entertained by this because I'm the ultimate competitor, the ultimate uh, you know, team guy. Whatever reputation I've built for myself, I get to do that. And I, I, that's to Tim Tebow, to his credit, and I would tell young athletes everywhere, be a good person, and this kind of thing happens to you, where doors are open to you that probably shouldn't be. Um, and you get to walk in and, and, you know, have that kind of relationship with people to, to play tight end or to even be entertained for this. But then I also look at it as the ultimate privilege like a, of a guy who, who has never played tight end, at least not that I know of, um, in, in any serious capacity, to now be able to say, I want to play tight end in the NFL, and people are actually making a story out of it. That, to me, is like the ultimate sign of privilege that I don't think anybody gets it. It makes me a little bitter as a former athlete who knows how – find out your opportunities are to play in the NFL, who's been denied it, who, you know, has never gotten a second chance or anything like that. A little bitter spot there, right? To see a guy who's not been playing football professionally or in any capacity, really, for a, a couple of years at least, and he just walks back into the room and he's getting entertained by these NFL teams. I, I envy that a little bit. But um, like I said, the, the first thing I think is the guys that put all the years into that craft, how they must feel stepped on to see this quarterback now trying to be a tight end when I when they probably could do the job a lot better than he could. And there's not as much of a learning curve for that transition. So uh, it's, it's a loaded thing, but it's definitely tough. Uh, so kudos to anybody who can make the transition positionally um, in any sport um, and interchange positions like that and actually be effective at both. That, that's impressive to me. Caleb Herring's on Cofield & Company here on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, I want your take on the Aaron Rodgers situation, but first let's set it up by – 
playing what uh, Terry Bradshaw told a New York radio station the other day. Bradshaw is definitely not on A-Rodge's side. And then if they fire the general manager, he'll come back. Are you kidding me? Really? Aaron, that's that's where this is. Here's what I'd do. I wouldn't budge. Let him gripe. Let him cry. Retire. You're 38. Go ahead and retire. See you later. I mean, I'm really strong about stuff like that. And it just makes him look weak. In my way of looking, it makes him look weak. Ooh. Bradshaw saying Rodgers looks weak. Uh, Bradshaw saying he's really strong on stuff like players having rights and pushing back on the organization and making demands. Your thoughts on Aaron Rodgers and this rift with the GM and what Bradshaw said? Well, I, I mean, I don't think it makes him look weak at all. I mean, this guy's going toe to toe with you know NFL executives. That I don't think I don't see the spin on that that makes you look weak. I mean, he's gone out there season after season, just coming off an of MVP season with the lack of weapons. If you say that the the, the Packers have drafted for him, I don't think he's thrown. A touchdown. I, I think Mercedes Lewis might have been the only receiving touchdown he's thrown to a first-round draft pick uh, in his time in Green Bay. If I, if I remember that stat correctly. So if you talk about the, the you know the defense has always been an issue in Green Bay, and it's just been Aaron Rodgers that has kind of carried that franchise for the last decade or decade and a half, really. Um, so I, for Aaron Rodgers to be upset about the situation and and look at the things that the you know the the management aspect of the game that other quarterbacks have had impact on, other great quarterbacks have had impact on. For him to to voice that, I mean, you know, when when Tom Brady essentially got Jimmy Garoppolo traded, right? And I mean, was, did that make him look weak because he had an issue with you know the the future of of what the what his job at the Patriots looked like? No, I think there's just a kind of respect when you achieve a level of greatness um, that Aaron Rodgers has achieved as an individual player. That should be demanded of your franchise if your franchise is taking your greatness seriously. I don't think anybody could argue with the fact that Green Bay has done things that make you question that. And this goes back to even with Brett Favre. And, I mean, it didn't make Brett Favre look weak that he wouldn't talk to Aaron Rodgers or that he was upset about Aaron Rodgers being drafted as his, as his successor or anything like that. Um, but I think Aaron Rodgers sees a window where they can win. And he doesn't feel that um, management, the GM in this case, is doing everything in his power to capitalize on what is the twilight of his Hall of Fame career. So I don't think that makes him weak. I think there's a very old-school mentality that Bradshaw brings that you take with a grain of salt. And he's going to have a strong opinion just because that's who he is. You know, that's where he makes his money at um, at this point in his life. But that's a very old-school mentality, kind of like shut up and play, like do what you're told, you're fortunate to be here, yada, yada, yada. It's not a, just about that. I think Aaron Rodgers wants to submit his legacy as a winner, and he has not done that. The one thing people have as a knock on his career he hasn't won enough rings. And I think him wanting to do that and chase rings in Green Bay and wanting his franchise to kind of show that they're on the same page as far as chasing championships now, um, I think that, that there's no problem with that from my from my perspective. And uh, until Green Bay, I think, shows him that respect, I think he'll he'll complain and gripe every offseason. And, and, and as long as he continues to perform on the field, I don't see the problem with him voicing his opinion off of it. So, Caleb, I would start by saying I agree with you. I agree with you entirely. I think Aaron Rodgers has every right to try to call his shots at this point of his career. But I want you to help me with something that just strikes me as a weird disconnect because we talk all the time about team mentality, team first. Got to put the team before everything. We hear it in every sport at every level. And yet, on the surface, this doesn't feel that way, right? It does feel like one guy is in some ways above the team. That being said, if there's anyone in the NFL today not named Patrick Mahomes who, you know, who has that kind of, you know, 
respect, then I, I don't know who else other than maybe Tom Brady and um, and uh, Aaron Rodgers it would be. Yeah, so the, the thing about I think when you're talking about things like the team's objective, right, the objective of the team game is to win. If you're trying to get your team to make decisions that put you in a better place to win, like, you know, with the draft capital or with, with the offseason signings and things like that, if you're doing things like that, you're voicing that opinion um, and maybe challenging the idea that your management team is not uh, invested in winning now or winning with this, this opportunity that you have with the team that you have in place to draft the right pieces around you to, to win now, then I think it's different than, say, a guy in the offseason complaining about his contract or holding out for um, you know, a contract extension when he's not even up for one. I think that's a very different tone uh, in the, as far as like your offseason complaints to management. Aaron Rodgers is not disputing whether or not he should be the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL. He's not saying, oh, I want this done to cater to me. He's saying what I think other people would agree with, that the team is not being drafted as, as if they can win now, which they could. Um, I think last draft it was, you know, get some help at wide receiver or get some defensive help with that first pick. And instead you draft the replacement quarterback in, in love, right? And that to me that doesn't show that you're invested in winning now as a franchise, whereas a player – if I'm in the locker room and I'm saying we're a piece away, we're this piece away, we're that piece away, and you don't go out and recognize that as, as Aaron Rodgers, as the GOAT, arguably, uh, at quarterback, then I think you have every right to, as a good teammate, say, hey, we're a piece away, guys, and our management's not going after that piece. What's the deal here? Let, can I make some noise? Can I use my influence to put some pressure on them, at least, to make that acquisition so that we can get past the NFC Championship and get to the Super Bowl and things like that? So I think it's a very different tempo or, or, or temperament when you're talking about um, things that will benefit winning for the team as opposed to things that will benefit you individually, like like money and, and, and things like that. Caleb Herring's with us. All right, Caleb, let's close on this. I want to get a mention in about a couple of points about UNLV spring football. Uh, camp is over. They finished up on Saturday. I'll say, first of all, great job. They did a senior day for the super seniors who did not come back. There was no real senior day, so – it was great. There were uh, tons of families and friends out uh, right there on the practice field next to the Fertitta football complex. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff that Marcus Arroyo got into. One of the things I noticed uh, between him and uh, the offensive coordinator, Glenn Thomas, they were talking about uh, some of the backup running backs. And I think that was a big part of what was missing from the Rebels offense last year is that it was a one-man gang with Chuck Williams. And we saw a couple of years ago, Courtney Reese, little guy, shows potential. Chad Maguire, big guy, was a nice weapon. They brought in a, uh, a bigger dude from Oregon who's 6'2 and 210. I think what we're starting to see here is a better collection of backs so that they can mix it up and that uh, Charles Williams isn't out there 95% of the time. Yeah, and I think that's getting back to that is kind of what UNLV had over the past during the last regime was a solid running game. And they kind of did it by committee a lot, whether it was Armani running it, Lexington Thomas, who was obviously electric, um, and the Chuck Wagon, who was kind of coming into his own during this time. They've always had multiple options as far as their running attack. And I think it did for a while come become the Chuck show. And, you know, Chuck enjoyed in, individual success because of it. But the team, I think, suffered because um, you could see game plans were honed in and focused on stopping Charles Williams, whether it was if he's in the game, it's likely a run. You know, I don't <laughs> Or if he leaps out of the back, he's likely the main, the primary target on a pass play to the running back. So, um, there was a kind of an awareness of him. I think Courtney Reese is kind of just from the practice I watched. Was, I did watch that last spring practice. 
um, he gets a lot of positive feedback from from the coaching staff, um, and I think he brings a different dynamic. He's a smaller guy, so I mean, he's not an every down back by any means. But the change of pace he provides is a very quick twitch, explosive type of guy that you can see a third down change of pace back. Maybe even throw him in there, you know, screen game just to get him the ball in space and let him capitalize. But seeing the stable at running back, like you mentioned, is a, a good sign. And the super senior concept kind of helped UNLV achieve that because Charles, I think, is still the number one guy. And looking at him, he's, he's still adding size. He looks good. He didn't practice much in the last practice. I'm just giving some of those backups a chance to get reps. But um, I, I do think that they're trying to build a running back by committee type of system. And that kind of goes with, I think, the pace of play that they want to achieve. We didn't see much of it last year because they didn't know the offense. They couldn't go fast. They didn't know what they were doing. But I think in the practice that I watched, tempo is something that I see being a part of it. And you have to have interchangeable backs, fresh legs to get in there to do it. I think Courtney Reese, just from what I saw, the positive feedback that I heard him get from Coach Arroyo um, during that practice, I think he's going to be uh, heavily featured in that number two running back spot uh, come come the fall. Nice. All right, Caleb, really good spot. We'll talk to you soon, okay? All right, man. You got to take care. There he is, Caleb Herring, the former quarterback at UNLV. He's one of the color voices on the – well, he is the color voice – on the football broadcast, one of the voices on the football broadcast. All right, we flip here. Let's mention a little baseball. MLB, the show, 21 is up for grabs for the Xbox. Trivia question, though, 364 364 one one zero zero. John Means just closed out a no hitter for the Orioles. Twelve Ks, nine innings, no walks. Perfect game. Nope, not a perfect game. He threw a wild pitch that kept him from tossing the perfect game. Who was the last major league pitcher to toss a perfect game? Give the name, the full name, to Ari three six four eleven hundred three six four one one zero zero, and you could be the winner of MLB the Show twenty one for the Xbox. Cofield and Company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. We don't mess around when it comes to food. It's the Fat Pack, brought to you by Nova Home Loans. And there's wine already for tasting, and there's right. Cadillacs. Do it! I love Sinatra in the Rat Pack. Get it? Fat Pack, Rat Pack? But come on, Candy. Sammy? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right. Winner to the uh, or for the trivia question and of MLB, the show 21, was Tommy. He knew that Felix Hernandez threw the last perfect game. We'll talk more about John Means and the Orioles and Dynamite no-hitter that he threw today against the poor Seattle Mariners. So, you know, I mentioned this last hour, Candy. I I find this tweet pretty fascinating. Uh, It's a relationship thing. It's a – I'm just going to say it's a relationship thing because I don't know if I want to necessarily say husband-wife because this could be in the same sex couple as well. What do you think when – or what did you think when you read this or heard this from Diana Rossini of ESPN? She tweeted out, just one morning, I'd like my husband to start our day with hello, good morning, and not with, quote, what's for dinner tonight? She says it's 528 a.m. How do you read that? Or how do you take that as I read it to you? I'm not sure I read it quite as harshly as you guys did last hour, where 
I don't know that it's necessarily saying that she's responsible for cooking the dinner. She might she might be letting him know, like, are we eating in? Are we eating out? Like, I'm not saying it's on her every night to be making the meal. That being said, that being said, not a good look for a new husband because these two got married in September 2020. Right. So you've been married for less than eight months. And this is what's popping up. Like, I'm guessing the honeymoon phase is officially over for Diana and her husband if she's putting you on blast on Twitter for not even saying good morning, honey. Like, that seems like it's less about the dinner and more about the, hun, great to see you. Another day, I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, fellow female journalist in the sports world, Aditi Kinkawala responded to Diana Rossini by saying, when you figure out how to make this happen, please, please share how you did it. So apparently Aditi having issues with her mate asking about dinner first thing in the morning. Apparently this is, there's a rash of this going on around the country. Women who, are unha- women who are unhappy with their mate asking about dinner too early in the day. I don't understand something here because I too care about what dinner is going to be but i generally don't care about dinner till after lunch what is with this broad and unbelievable disrespect for breakfast breakfast deserves more love than this like it's 5 28 in the morning i am not kidding i wake up in the morning whenever the dog decides to get me up usually 6 37 a.m and the first excitement that runs through me is i get to eat breakfast like, I'm excited about breakfast. I keep a wonderful stock of breakfast options on hand. I could cook. I could go for the simple cereal. It could be just some oatmeal. Some days, I might just have a cookie or two or three. What's wrong with breakfast? And why is Diana Rossini's husband so concerned with dinner that he doesn't talk about breakfast? It's the Fat Pack brought to you by Nova Home Loans. Every day at this time, we got some sort of uh, food-related issue, discussion to get to that could include, you know, Restaurants, bars, relationships. Um, I hate breakfast. I don't think about breakfast ever. I don't think about it in the morning. I don't think about it at night. I don't eat breakfast. Who hurt you? Um, How how did this happen? Like, What what happened? Were you served lots of terrible breakfasts as a child? No, uh, but I think... We only did uh, like real breakfast on the weekends, and my father was generally the cook. Although my mother could make a mean waffle. She was solid with that. My dad was the eggs guy. And, of course, what else with the eggs? It's New Jersey. Pork roll! Or Taylor Ham, if you're a moron from northern New Jersey. Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not anti-breakfast because of my upbringing. I've just found over the years, I, if I eat a heavy breakfast, it doesn't actually energize me. It makes me want to go back to sleep. So here we go with my diet again. Yesterday I was talking about my favorite Pop-Tart being the frosted brown sugar. And in my 20s, as a midday Wrong. snack, while I was getting ready to cover the beat, I would do the frosted brown sugar Pop-Tart and wash it down with a 44-ounce Mountain Dew. And people all over the place were getting all grossed out, like that's too much sugar. I don't like breakfast, so my breakfast generally is a pot of coffee. And then my first meal earliest will be 11 a.m. And sometimes you don't eat it's not sometimes with the coffee. Nothing. I don't eat I don't eat anything with the coffee. Some m- most days I don't eat until I'm driving to the show at one fifteen. 
I cannot imagine denying myself the pleasure of eating for that long in a single day. And I mean, good for you getting the coffee in there, getting going, uh, get fired up, dude. I, I, I like it. Um, maybe that's what makes you who you are. Maybe the fact that you <laughs> show up for the show every single day loaded on a pot of coffee with nothing else in your system yeah. is why you are screaming and ranting. I don't understand why the physique has turned out this way. What's what's been happening? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, for um, but best pop tart, frosted brown sugar. That's when I really want to take you to a to a psychiatrist and figure out what the hell happened to you because of the current flavors, it's obviously strawberry frosted, and then of the other flavors that have existed as a child, they had a peanut butter and jelly pop tart. As in, both were inside the pop tart. It was a fleeting moment in time. I ended up as an adult writing to the company and saying, will you ever bring these back? And they did. They did. Not at my wow. request. Years later. Years later. And let me tell you something. I got a box. And they were disgusting. They were absolutely terrible. I don't know what was wrong with me. I actually threw out half the box. I was like, I don't know why I ever thought this was a good idea to put peanut butter and jelly inside a Pop-Tart. One more thing on Rossini's point about being asked first thing in the morning about dinner. You know, I will take up for the dude, although she seems to be complaining. So there's nothing constructive here. She was complaining about it. Um, but the, this is the way we work uh, in our house. I may ask about dinner in the morning because there might need to be some prep or something picked up for dinner on the way home. Does that make sense? Hey, what are that we doing is... for dinner tonight? Do I need to go and get something on the way home? That is an absolutely fair point. I, yeah. I I think that's well within the realm of possibility. Uh, her husband's name, according to what I'm oh seeing now we're on gonna, the now internet, we're gonna, now Rossini is making us dox her husband. Uh, Kevin Goldschmidt. Oh, uh, you uh, son of a! No, I'm kidding. Yeah. I, I don't know the guy. Kevin, Kevin Goldschmidt, uh, Penn State grad in 2007. Uh, that explains and, a lot. A, a senior analyst. Uh, look, here's. Here's here's uh, used to work at. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. He works at Shake Shack now. Does that change your opinion? This has another fat pack yes. connection. Yes. What if he's going to bring home some leftover Shake Shack? Maybe that's that the cake. whole idea. Maybe the whole question is, honey, am I bringing home Shake Shack tonight? Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Gambling. I'm going to kill your bookmaker. I'm going to rip his throat out. I will step on his throat until the man chokes. Let me tell you how. Winners, 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 winners. Free, 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 free. It's back, Candy. In limited spots, it's back. Stu yelling at everyone about free picks. Brian Blessing is here. He's on Sports Grid Radio. That's on Sirius XM Channel 204. What's up, Brian? Hey, I think I can help you on the, the the poor guy's problem that he had with the his wife's upset that uh, yeah. he wakes her up and says, what's for dinner? Yeah. Yeah, I, listen, uh, I'm 40 years in with my lovely bride. She's got a green light with QVC and Home Shopping Network, and I do the preemptive strike. You don't wake 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 her up and say what's for dinner that's why i asked her the night before what's for dinner tomorrow oh wow you go way early yeah it's a preemptive strike i kind of like your toxic masculinity there if i'm going to use a current term by mentioning that the wife has free reign with the shopping so that means no, you got to ask about dinner well 
you know, one hand washes the other. No, I mean, hey, listen. You know, and the other thing for guys, friendly advice, every day's Christmas, every day's Mother's Day, every day's a holiday. You know, tell them you love them, you love her every day. That's what I do. And then when Mother's Day comes, I go, hi, happy Sunday. There you go. Uh, Brian, do you cook? Do you cook dinner every once in a while? Is it fifty fifty? Is it ninety ten in favor of her? I burn cereal. She's an amazing cook. <laughs> I love it. I burn cereal. Uh, did you win the Derby? How did the Kentucky Derby play out? Uh, I was decimated right out of the gate. Had rocked your world. My world got rocked. Uh, he's a speed horse. That's why Medina, uh, Medina Spirit won. Rocky World got the jump on him in the San Anita Derby, but coming out of the 15-hole got absolutely throttled. I'm surprised that he's not coming back, or at least as of today, coming back for the Preakness. And I'd make the case if Rocky World came back, finished 17th in the Derby, I'd make the case that horse would go off the favorite in the Preakness because he never got to run his race. Right. Uh, what what happened with the favorite in terms of the odds? Wasn't there a, a whole another promotional angle here with the mattress dude? Yeah, the mattress smack guy was throwing grenades. I don't know what he ended up betting over two million bucks. And yeah, it's a free roll to win two million. Other than that, he got two million dollars worth of advertising. He does it all the time. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I know they're it's portrayed as a gambling story, but it's really an insurance for his his policy. Uh, Candy, your thoughts on uh, Mac? Is it this had a, it had a pretty big effect on the odds? Uh, you know, at one point we were talking to Dick Girardi from the you know Philly area, who's a horse racing expert and. And he was saying, uh, you know, at that point on Friday, he was freaking, he was four to five. What, Candy, what's your reaction to Mac getting involved? Oh, look, I admittedly, horse racing is not my specialty, but when we talk about a paramutual pool, it's a whole different story than dealing with a sports book, deciding what its risk is. I mean, you got everybody in it together. So, uh, look, the Mac story overall, I'm pretty done with, quite honestly, from because of what we're talking about here. <laughs> it's not about betting. This isn't about betting. The guy has promotions running at his store, and we cover every time he makes a big bet as though it's a celebrity. No, that's that's just not reality. No, it's it's a it's a business move. It's calculated. At the end of the day, though, guys, the pool was so big. Um, you know, this horse was basically uh, five to two morning line went off two to one. So at the end of the day, the pool was so big, it, it almost went off basically what the morning line was anyway. People bet other horses are going. Thanks, you're giving us an overlay. So now we look at what's going on here locally tonight, uh, Brian, and we've got the Golden Knights taking on Minnesota for the second consecutive game up in uh, Minneapolis. And, man, the last two minutes of that game were so hard to swallow on Monday with what happened to that team. And fluky as it was, it puts them in kind of a tricky situation tonight, right? Because you'd much rather play St. Louis than Minnesota in the first round. So... When you look at where the Golden Knights are this season, first place in the division, got a big game coming up tonight. What's your level of concern here? Is there any concern for you at all with with VGK if they have to see this Minnesota team again? Not because of those two games, uh, but and I would throw the cautionary tale at you. <laughs> Watch out for St. Louis. I bet St. Louis two weeks ago at fifty-five to one because it was ridiculous, and they're going to be twenty to one when the playoffs start, and they're playing great and playing playoff hockey now. The game tonight, uh, Adam, I'm telling you, the, I just saw one of the coolest things. I'm a knuckle-dragging Neanderthal, full disclosure. The Rangers and the Caps and the Tom Wilson thing, 
They dropped the opening puck, and everybody dropped the gloves. There were six fights in the first period. I'm telling you, I think what Vegas needs to do tonight, I think kolasar has got to go and get a chunk of Ryan Hartman. Ryan Hartman took a cheap shot at Peyton Krebs the other night. He could have hurt that kid. And things have been easy for Vegas this year. This has been a cupcake division. It's top-heavy. The Blues are coming on now. But I think I hope Kolasar goes after Hartman tonight and bond these guys together and realize what's been easy in the regular season. This is a whole other world coming next week. No question about it. And we saw the clips of what happened with the Rangers and the Capitals. And, you know, there's the lesson. If, if the league office isn't going to handle it, then the players are going to handle it. Right, Brian? I mean, it, it kind of felt like, all right, you, you give the guy a $5,000 fine, and that's obviously not enough uh, in the minds of most of the players, and they settle it with uh, old-school justice. Yeah, and there's a part of me, though, and again, I'm old-school. The, the bottom line is the instigator rule is the worst thing that ever happened to hockey. And guys take liberties. You watch the Flyers game last night. The guy from the Penguins puts an empty netter in, and the guy cross-checks him in the spine. He goes ankles first into the boards. I mean, you know, these guys do stuff like that. Somebody's going to get hurt because they don't have to ever worry about paying the piper. The instigator rule in hockey is a train wreck. But uh, the problem they had with Wilson, and you can disagree with it, and it was gnarly what he did, but it was borderline rotten. His problem is he's got such a long rap sheet that they're going, we either give him the $5,000 fine or they got to suspend him six, seven games because he's a prior offender. And if they do that, they're really hurting the caps with the playoffs coming up. And then the Rangers, that organization makes that statement to the league. They fire their uh, president and GM today. Don't think that wasn't connected. Oh, yeah, we weren't happy with what the team did on the ice. I got news for you. There's tentacles and meat hooks into the fact that they took on the league and said the player safety director, Paro, should be fired. Uh, the league was ready to drop an anvil on him, and the president and the, uh, the team president and the GM got the gas can. Vegas Golden Knights, first place in the division. All right, prediction time. Where do you think they end up division-wise, and where do you see this team going in the playoffs? Tonight will tell a big story because Colorado's schedule is a cakewalk. And honestly, there's a part of me, Colorado says they own Minnesota. They're not losing sleep about winning the division. And, you know, the Vegas-Minnesota thing, I would just say this to you, Adam, honestly, if they can't beat Minnesota, then we're wasting our breath anyway talking about them winning the Stanley Cup. You know, I mean, let's not worry about who you're going to play. And, oh, Minnesota's got our number in regular season games. If you can't beat Minnesota, then you're not even in the discussion to win the Cup anyway. Brian, great spot. What do you got cooking the rest of the week on Sports Grid? Oh, well, we'll be getting ready for the end of the regular season in hockey and um, – NBA's right around the corner. It's more of the same, Steve. Honestly, you'd think it would be a quiet time of year, but nope. man, there's a boatload of stuff going on. It's a lot of fun. And, and, th- and hey, by the way, the Golden Knights are going to have 9,000 fans at the playoff games. That's going to be a big thing for them, too. So, hey, man, we're getting back to normal. Good deal, Brian. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. See you, fellas. There he is, Brian Blessing. You can hear him on Sirius XM 204. Sports Grid is one of the uh, premier gambling content channels out there. Blessing is on for a couple hours a day during his three-hour show. Big Five is coming up. We'll get into uh, what's going on early with the Vegas Golden Knights and 
Also hit on the latest from LeBron. He offended a lot of people with a tweet about 10 days ago, and he's uh, scrambling to try to fix things. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.